0: listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry.
1: You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for Episode two hundred and ninety eight. We are so close, but yet so far away. So close
0: <laughs> <laughs> to three hundred. So yeah, and audience, stay tuned. Especially if you haven't followed us on LinkedIn, do it now because we may have an announcement about a three hundredth episode. But it's going to be a very short amount of time for you to hear about it and participate. So. Just pay attention closely what we're doing. We'll get it out all on all our socials if something happens. But we're negotiating—not negotiations. We're in discussions. Our own Amanda Labrie is frantically trying to find a place for us to celebrate our three hundredth episode. And you know what we're thinking about doing, Paige? What? well crawfish
1: well then yeah okay that's (laughs) the only way to celebrate
0: so audience just pay real close attention we'll try as soon as we have something concrete we'll get it out there and the first place we'll talk about will be on linkedin if you're in the houston area and you want to come join us for our 300th episode it'd be really cool
1: yeah because i'm definitely going to be there just for the crawfish. (laughs) crawfish i don't
0: even care about the podcast Speaking of about things other than the podcast, we have our Industry Mixer on Thursday, March 30th. When this comes out, you should have just a little bit of time to sign up. It may be sold out by the time you hear this because it's often close right now. But small gathering here in Houston, between 75 and 150 people, all business leaders in the oil and gas industry. We have cocktails and appetizers.
1: Aren't we doing a little auctioning off of something?
0: And we're auctioning off a -a one-of-a-kind it's a painting or a print?
1: I think it's a print. I'm pretty sure you painted it.
0: Painting. painting. More details on that to come. Yes. But a big shout out to James for providing something to help us raise money for charity. Which, by the way, the by industry mixer, our profits go to Red M. That's a charity we support and believe in 100%. that helps fight the horrors of human sex trafficking. So... If you come join us for a mixer, you literally will be helping save some little boy, little girl's life. And we have them for the rest of the year. I think we have four left this year. So if you'd like to host one, it's not much money. I think it's 3500 bucks. You get a lot of great exposure. You get a podcast episode. You get video shot. And like I said, then you actually help make this world a better place. So reach out to me if you want more details on that. And then Paige and I are trying to figure out if we read this review before or not. It sounds familiar to me, too. I'm wondering if it came in two different ways.
1: Maybe, because I remember the stuff where she says yelling, yes, exactly. I just remember that. That stands out to me for some reason. I'll go ahead and read it again. But it says, hi, Mark. I was the manager of planning and economics at Valero Benicia and found your podcast two years ago. I want to say thanks for for The work on oil and gas this week. I usually listen to you and Paige when I'm running and often catch myself yelling, Yes, exactly. <laughs> and people around would give me funny looks. I have shared a few headlines from the podcast during the leadership morning meetings. Your insights in the industry is a great compliment to Opus Reports. My husband, who works at Axons now, listens to you too. I have since moved on from Valero and have transitioned to tech, but I still do listen to hear every episode. It's a great way for me to keep up with the industry and. That is still so dear to me. Keep
0: up the great work, Tess. Thank you, Tess, for the review. Tess, if we did read your review twice, it's that good. (laughs) 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 And audience, if you submit a review online in one way, that's enough.
1: So, yeah, we get, we get them.
0: Yeah. So you can submit it, like test it on LinkedIn. You can submit it on Apple podcasting, you can submit it on Spotify. You can do it on Twitter or Facebook, whatever. But if you do submit a uh, review, just do it one way. So we don't accidentally read it twice. Cause this does sound familiar, I but know. it's such a great interview. I don't mind reading it twice. And thanks again, Tess.
1: All right. So let's get into the news stories. It's been a hell of a week. All right. So we're going to start off with bank collapse, contagion fears spread
0: to oil prices. Yeah, you and I were talking about Silicon Valley Bank earlier.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to even repeat what I was said on that.
0: <laughs> I'm going to leave the political discussion around Silicon Valley Bank to Jordan and our geopolitical podcast. But basically, if you don't know, I don't know how you could not know unless you've been living under a rock. Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. At the same time, it caused the Dow to plunge over 240 points. And then there's a lot of fears pinned in a potential financial crisis when the government had to seize assets of Silicon Valley Bank. There's a bunch of misinformation out there. One of the things I want to be clear here is because this was a bank inside the U.S. and it was FDIC insured. Every account that was FID insured is covered. You don't have to worry about it, right? Yeah. Right. It's the ones that were not FDIC insured that were too large or transactional. We don't know where this is going to go. Unfortunately, I've heard horror story after horror story of companies that didn't necessarily bank with Silicon Valley Bank, but like their payroll company use them or one of their suppliers use them. And what's happened is they haven't lost money yet. And in a lot of cases, they're not going to lose money at all, but it's frozen, right? Mm. So imagine us trying to make payroll and all of a sudden the payroll money gets frozen and then we can't make payroll. It's not that we don't have the money. It just stuck in limbo while the feds figure out what's going on here. That's frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And- you know, if you listen to me for any length of time, you know, especially look at my predictions for last year, I'm still firmly convinced the world's head into a recession. The last couple months, it looks like I was completely wrong. If you look at what's going on with the stock market and look on what's going on, the reaction to this, and also the fact that the stock market did not rebound like it should have, Mm. I still think that we're heading into a recession. Again. Uh, Once the bank bank failed, you had a bunch of experts out there, including Goldman Sachs and myself, uh, that also believes the Fed will put a pause on rate hikes just to try to recover this. So we'll see what happens. You know, The feds are on this, the treasury, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, they're all looking to try to get free up this money that needs to be freed up so that businesses get back to normal. I will make one note of Silicon Valley Bank is that a lot of their investments, and if you don't know this about banks, when you put your money in a bank, whether it's a checking account or savings account, a money market or whatever, they invest that money, right? right. It's, it's one of the ways they make a profit. Right. And Silicon Valley Bank, let's say, was not, an investment in the oil and gas industry, and we'll just leave it at that.
1: Okay. All right. Let's move along. Trans Mountain oil pipeline cost balloons.
0: Yeah, boy, what a mess for our brothers and sisters in Canada, in Canada. Canada, yeah. So, when this forecast, when this this pipeline, I think it was Kinder Morgan originally decided to build this pipeline, the cost is way cheaper than it is right now. And then basically the government decided to nationalize this pipeline. I believe they bought it from Kinder Morgan for about $5 billion. And basically Kinder Morgan said, you're going to buy it from us or we're going to cancel it. because it's so hard to do business in Canada now because of all the environmental pushbacks from both the Canadian government and some anti-oil and gas groups up there. And so then what happens is the Mountain pipeline expansion didn't got delayed and costs kept going up. And the cost keeps going up for a bunch of reasons. They had some really bad weather. They had repeated delays. they had a bunch of regulatory holdups. That's always fun. Yeah, and a lot of that was caused by the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, when he nationalized the system and bought the pipeline for 2018. And then basically this pipeline is about 80% complete the first quarter of next year, 2024. It should actually come online. And it's going to make it much easier for the Canadians to export their heavy crude to Asia So what's going on right now is they export the heavy crude down here to the Gulf of Mexico, stick it on a tanker, and now it goes to Asia. This is going to greatly shorten that. Price tag, unfortunately, has went up a lot. It's went up over 40%. Actually, it's went up 44%, and it's right about $22.3 So – $5 <laughs> Five billion when Kinder Morgan was going to do it, twenty two point three billion that the Canadian government's going to finish this thing. Man, yeah, that's, that's a lot. That's right? pretty hefty. But this transport is needed. It's basically to mirror the existing pipeline, just give it much more capacity. And then you know, like I said, it's uh, they had a bunch of just crazy stuff. They had floods. I believe they had they had some archaeological discoveries, which is never a good thing. When you're, oh, no. when you're doing construction and you dig up something that's really old, uh, you have to stop at least here in Canada. And there's certain government organizations that have to come in and do their yeah. own research, which just delays everything. I actually, many years ago, got involved in something like that where we uncovered some very old graves and literally every contractor there went, damn. <laughs> 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 and it worked out the right way. But anyway, the cost overruns were tremendous on this thing. It's like I said, it's coming online. To, it's needed. So, It looks like it's actually going to happen, so we'll look forward to the first flow in the first quarter of next year.
1: Cool, cool. All right, so this is the big breaking news. We're recording this on Tuesday, March 14th, so this came out yesterday. Biden Greenlight's controversial Alaska
0: oil project. I would have lost money on this.
1: Yeah, we were just talking about it's probably not going to happen. He's probably going
0: to screw it. Yep, I thought they were going to kill this for sure. They didn't, and I will be the first to congratulate the current administration have doing the right thing for- Oh, wait until we get to the next article, though. For both the people <laughs> in Alaska and the world at large. The U.S. produces the cleanest hydrocarbon molecule in the world. If we didn't produce these hydrocarbons, another country would have, which would be right. much worse for the environment. And those dollars and jobs would have went somewhere else other than to the Alaskan people. So this is the right thing for them to do. You know, ConocoPhillips has worked really hard. This project is expected to produce about 160 barrels per day which sounds like a big number, that's 160,000, right? Yeah. Remember the U.S. burns 20 million barrels a day. Right. So it's a drop, it's a big drop in the bucket, but still it's a drop in the bucket. The climate activists were all over this from the very beginning. It is- As they
1: are everything. They
0: had just literally gotten ridiculous- with a bunch of nonsense and a bunch of no truths being pushed all over the place. So I'm proud of our current administration for approving this. It was needed. And like I said, I would have lost a lot of money on this. I did not see this one coming. It was expected, <laughs> But hats off Biden administration for doing the right thing.
1: All right. So Biden to limit Arctic oil drilling ahead
0: of Willow Approval.
1: Uh, I, <laughs> I just told gave you, you I told kudos. You. I just gave you kudos for doing the right thing. I know. I tried to warn you. Yeah.
0: So what it looks like is happening is in – to help make the other side happy, looks like our current administration is greatly limit future Arctic drilling. And if you listen to me any length of time, you know what I'm about to say. If anybody's going to drill in the Arctic, you want it to be us or the Europeans, right? Mm-hmm. You want it to be Chevron, Exxon, Shell, or BP. Why? Because we care about the environment. We care about the local communities we operate in. And if we mess something up, not only do we tell, we fix it. You've never heard of a Chinese or a Russian oil spill for a reason. And that reason is they're not better than us and the Europeans. They just don't tell. And if we don't drill in the Arctic at some point in the future, maybe not next month or next year, maybe not next decade, some point somebody will and you want it to be the American European countries. Well, here's our government saying nope that ain't gonna happen now of course when our government says you can't drill in the arctic that does not apply to the chinese or russians or anybody else the environmentalists are heavily involved in this and they're saying that this project that we just talked about the willow project if it happens which it did i just said it happened it would be one of the worst consequences to global warming and shifting at zero emissions by 2050 it's ever happened our administration like i said sign off on the willow project but these new restrictions are going to stop, basically stop any oil and gas lease in the area of over 13 million acres, which is literally ridiculous. Like I said, if anybody wants to drill there, it should be us. This is all tied to a once obscure 1953 law that President Barack Obama actually pulled in for 2016. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for doing this current administration. I don't know. I don't quite understand… I guess I'm not deep enough in politics. I don't quite understand how you approve the Willow Wall project, which is good for everybody, and then immediately clamp down any future development in that area.
1: Yeah, because because Trump came back and was like, mm, "We're going to invoke the
0: 1953 law." Yeah, that. Was- and then this bothers me a little bit. What article is this? What? Who wrote this? Rig zone. So rig zone. Actually, it's by Bloomberg. By Bloomberg. Okay. That makes a little bit more sense. (laughs) So one of the things they talk about in here is they say over a 30-year lifespan for the Willow Project that the process of recovering those hydrocarbons is going to generate somewhere north of 200 million tons of carbon dioxide emissions. No, it won't. (laughs) It it won't. <laughs> now, maybe the burning of those hydrocarbons further down the economic chain, maybe, if that's where you got this number from. But the production of these hydrocarbons will not produce 200 million tons of carbon dioxide. And quite honestly, Bloomberg, you need to do a little bit more research on the science. Hydrocarbons are one of the natural carbon recycling processes on Earth. It's part of the natural carbon recycling process. So when you burn hydrocarbons and they release carbon dioxide – it is almost the same amount of carbon dioxide that was pulled out of the air millions of years ago. So if you think about it that way, it's net zero. It's actually slightly less than that because there's this other carbon recycling natural process that goes on with all these microscopic seashells made by the single-cells animals that photosynthesize in our ocean that eventually makes hydrocarbons. Those shells lock up the carbon, and they fall to the ocean floor and and eventually form limestone. So good article – Really upset that I just gave kudos to the administration. They turn around and did the opposite of this. And I then, mean, are you surprised? No, I'm not, unfortunately. In all sincerity, I was giving them kudos for, for approving. And then they do something like this. And obviously, this is just a political ploy to try to make both sides happy, which really Well, yeah,
1: benefits, no, that's exactly what it is.
0: Really benefits nobody.
1: Right. All right, moving on. Up next, Pioneer CEO, the shale boom is over.
0: This is a bit of a clickbait. So basically what Sheffield said is that the easy oil growth in the unconventional shell is over. And I would agree with that. Although there's still a lot of easy oil to be found and a lot of hydrocarbons to recover. I mean, like I I say all the time, the sun will run out of hydrogen before we run out of hydrocarbons on this planet. So the EIA forecasted oil production in the United States will grow by 590,000 barrels per day which is a sizable number. Remember, we, we burn 20 million barrels a day, so that's about a quarter of that. It also said that next year that that growth will slow from this year's growth, and that's probably true. We'll see what I predict in November of this year for the Shell plays. But the Chief Executive Officer of and Natural Resources quoted Scott Shelfeld as saying, that the aggressive growth era of U.S. Shell is over. And I would say that is true. Now, remember, the aggressive growth era was 10 years of investment dollars funding growth, not returns, not profits, which we learned was a mistake. But at some point, you have to start making a profit. You can't just fund a well to use that money to use that forecasted hydrocarbon revenue to borrow more money to drill another well and so on and so on. It's almost like a Ponsai scheme. So the aggressive growth is absolutely over. We all know that all the major players out there are now looking for returns on their investment, which is what they should be. And then the other thing is, you know, we're talking about the unconventionals. We're talking about the shell plays. So one conventional well in the Gulf of Mexico over a 50-year lifetime is probably equal to the production of maybe 50 wells in a shell plays. So even though... The shell growth is slowing. We still have a lot of hydrocarbons to recover in the unconventional shell plays. But we also have all our conventional plays, not only here in the Gulf of Mexico, but around the world. And it's all just a mix. Anyway, so what's going on right now is it's expensive to drill. You can't get people. You can't get parts and pieces. And that's one of the reasons you're not seeing as much growth besides the capital discipline to make sure that we're only worried about returns, not so much worried about growth. And so there's another quote here by Shetfield, which I love. He goes, you can't keep growing by 15, 20% a year. You'll drill up your inventories, which is 100% right. And it all depends on the prices and the ability to get the parts and pieces and people you need to grow that fast. So you know, there's a whole bunch of variables going on. I foresee the shell patch in the US to continue to produce forever. I also foresee that In many parts of the world that have not been tapped into, there's the same geology, same shell geology as here. They just don't have the infrastructure expertise just to tap into that. As we go through time, you'll see more and more unconventional shell resources being tapped in all over the world. I'm not worried about this. I actually, in some ways, think this is a good drive some more consolidations in the shell fields, which we've, we've been through quite a few of them. Right. And we're going to end up with a handful of players that really know what they're doing, that are very environmentally responsible, that treat their employees well. And it's just good for everybody. So a little misleading. They say the shell boom is over. It's not over. It's just changing.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the only constant, right? Is change. So
0: that's what they say.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, here's something cool. Republicans make U.S. energy production top priority with new legislation.
0: Yeah, and so this Lower Energy Costs Act, L E C because you know that yeah. politicians love acronyms more than we do. <laughs> <laughs> this has been filed by as an H.R. 1, which means it has the highest priority for Congress. The House expects to pack this pack passed this package <laughs> later, actually this month, everything behind this basically is to help to increase domestic oil and gas production, as well as production of more clean energy. So it's not just oil and gas focused. What they really want to do is help lower energy prices for the American population, which is good, especially if I'm right and we're still headed to this recession. Unfortunately, our current administration, even though I just ta- gave them kudos to the Willow Project, has not been good to the oil and gas industry. In one ways, they asked for more investment, more production because prices were so high at the pump. And then in other ways, they did every single thing they could to delay the ability to sell leases, to operate, all that sort of stuff. The oil and gas industry doesn't have a lot of faith in our current administration to help clearly be profitable. So here's the Republicans trying to change a lot of that, also trying to increase or speed up the approval process, not just for oil and gas leases, but for mining and for wind energy. And they also want to put in a provision to prevent the current political administration from blocking any oil and gas infrastructures. Because it's part of national security, so we'll see where this goes. I 100% believe this will pass the House. The odds of this passing completely and being signed into law is just about zero. Yeah, but it's a good step in the right direction, and we're headed in toward a new election cycle. So this is one of those things that I would love to see them get cleaned up, make it streamlined. Get some bipartisan buy-in. And then I suspect there's gonna be a big political change in the US relatively soon. Yeah. And when that happens, go ahead and push this thing through. Yeah. For the second yeah. Time.
1: It's actually gonna even amend the what they call NEPA, so the national environmental policy. It was the first major environmental law in the United States, and they, they also call it the Magna Carta of federal environmental laws. Love it. So what NEPA does is requires federal agencies to assess the environmental effects of Proposed major federal actions prior to making decisions. So,
0: which I'm 100% for. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see
1: where that goes. All right. Okay. So I talked about this last week and I didn't think anything happened at Sarah Week with those protesters, but Total Energy's CEO talked briefly interrupted by a protester. How they got in there, man.
0: Yeah. So you and I were just talking about that. So if you've never been to Sarah Week, the security there is insane. And I actually don't want to talk about it because I noticed things that a lot of people that have never served in the military probably wouldn't notice. And I don't want to give that away to any bad actors. But just trust me, the security there is intense. It's really good. So somehow a protester got in there, and Paige and I were theorizing, did they sneak in, which is in the realm of possibilities, although it would have been really hard. Yeah. Or did they pay the – Six or eight thousand dollars for a ticket just so they could protest. And if they did that, really, people, that money could have been spent on something much better for our planet than you unfurling a sign and shouting, Stop your greenwashing lies at Sarah Week. What they unfurled was a banner that said, Stop ECOP and Rio Grande LNG. And that's a reference to all pipeline project in East Africa and the export projects right here in the great state of Texas. It was a female, she was ushered away. I bet she was ushered away <laughs> <laughs> real quick. I bet she was ushered, ushered away very quickly before she even get going. And as we know, you know, the leaders of our industry are targets for protesters all over the world. And Sarah Week is the biggest annual gathering of oil and gas executives, and official and government officials in the world. Right. And so if you're a protester, this would probably be the place to get you know your name on a docket somewhere. We don't know what happened after they removed this protester. I am hoping. That the city of Houston police got involved. And if so. I'm sure.
1: H. Yeah. No, there's, there was a ton of HPD officers there. So I'm
0: I'm hoping she's still sitting in a jail cell somewhere for H.P.E. Oh, I doubt it. I'm sure they busted her out. Anyway. So this is, you know, good thing is nobody was hurt. Right. Nothing bad happened other than a protest that interrupted a presentation. So in the grand scheme of things, there was not a lot of negative Activity, like I said, nobody got hurt, which is good. And then once again, if you're anti oil and gas protester and you're going to spend money to try to get this type of notoriety, go spend (laughs) that money on something else that's actually, you know, look at the stray animals that are out there or the homeless or
1: well, they're just giving money to S and P Global, so it
0: works out. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. So actually, so protesters, if you did buy a ticket, you're actually financially supporting the industry that you're fighting <laughs> against. Come tell me how that makes a lot of sense.
1: Uh, okay, let's move on. Philippine oil spill caused by ship without a permit. Get okay. your permits.
0: Okay, so yes, number one, get your permits. We're st- still trying to figure out how this ship sailed without a permit. This ship, Princess Empress Tanker. <laughs> <laughs> They're all named stuff like this, though, but this is just cute. Uh, <laughs> basically, it was carrying 800,000 liters of industrial fuel, so it's probably Bunker C, I'm guessing. Uh-huh. It actually sank. It had no permit to sail.
1: That's probably why. It didn't have a permit. <laughs> it, sank. it sank.
0: Now, let me, probably. let me tell you what's really bad about this. In this part of the Philippines, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of very small islands. Mm. It's also very shallow water. So when you have a spill somewhere like in the Gulf of Mexico, think BP Macondo, which is a horrific spill. Because that water's deeper, there's not as much wave action, right? So then you can deploy equipment like booms. You can control that spill. And then you can use tools like skimmers because there's not a lot of wave action to to recover a lot of that oil. And then you use dispersants to sink the oil that you can't recover. Mm -hmm. In very shallow water, you have a lot of wave actions. The booms don't work, especially around islands. You can't use skimmers because of the wave actions, and you can't use dispersants. So what do you do? It's almost manual labor. They have mops they bring out. They have special equipment they bring out to pull this. But it's literally hundreds and hundreds of small islands that have to be cleaned up. A lot of this has to be done by hand. We've all seen the pictures of the people in the hazmat suits on the shore picking Mm -hmm. up the waterfowl that are covered in crude Using Dawn. Dawn, yeah. Shout out to Dawn. I believe Dawn donates all of that. Yeah. Uh, to help clean up the waterfowl. This is going to be a lot of that. Mm. Now, if I'm right in that, because the title says it's an oil spill, but if you read the article, it actually says it's industrial fuel. If it's Bunker C, it's going to be pretty bad. If it's something lighter than that, like diesel or gasoline, actually cleanups could be easier. So let's hope it was something lighter than Bunker C. I'm just glad it's not just pure crude. Yeah. At the same time, the Philippines Department of Health as a rule where when their workers are working on this type of spill they're limited to four hours a day of work to shield the workers from potential harm from exposure to the oil, that's going to take much longer. And then there was a bunch of miscommunication between the different entities, the government entities, municipalities. You can see this when there's hundreds of islands and all these little yeah. leaders have to agree upon something to start cleaning up. So there was a long delay. Oh, no. So we're going to keep an eye on this. The amount that was spilled actually is not a whole lot. And what I'm well, hoping that's is that's hopeful. That's hopeful. And also, it looks like it wasn't crude oil, which is good, but the massive islands and the shallow water going to make it hard. We're going to come back and and do another story of this and let you know what happened. I will say this much. You have a lot of U.S. spill response teams out there already. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Yeah. So the manpower and the equipment's either there now or it will be there very shortly to get this thing cleaned up. Right on.
1: Okay. All right. So UK Chancellor considers limiting oil and gas windfall tax. When prices fall? I knew you would love this one. (laughs) All
0: right. So the windfall tax is the government and it's not just in the uk they're wanting to do it here too in other parts of the world is basically saying hey look politically we've put the world in an energy shortage because we've pushed Everybody moved to renewables too quickly. Hmm. Now that we're in an energy shortage, people have to pay more for energy, like natural gas and crude oil. Well, oil and gas companies that didn't make money for 15 years, you're making too much money now, even though we're the reason you're making too much money. So now we're going to tax you for the extra money. Oh, that taxes is about 35% on top of what you're already paying. And yes, we realized if we tax you that much, you're not going to produce any more energy, and we'll still be in an energy shortage. But then you'll go out of business, and we won't have anybody to do a windfall tax. And so this person is going, <laughs> the chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, is going, we're going to do all of that. However, if the price of natural gas and oil fall below a certain point, where Mr. Oil Company. You can't make any money. Then we'll let the windfall tax go away. This is a mess. They're, they're <laughs> literally – this is just stupidity on top of ignorance, on top of just being dumb. So you heard me say this before. This is not only affecting the oil and gas industry in the UK. They're going to take the same windfall tax – and apply it against renewables. Why? Because the cost of hydrocarbons are so high that all energy's expenses. So for the first time, the renewables are actually making a profit. So instead of letting them make their profits so they can own more of the market share, they're going to apply this windfall tax, which, quite frankly, is going to put the renewable energy companies out of business. They sound hormonal. (laughs) I never even thought about that. I mean, goodness. But this windfall tax, whether they cap it or change it, the prices fall or not, all it's going to do is delay or remove investments for energy needs in the future. It's like a slow train wreck waiting to happen. Like, <laughs> I know the train's can hit the bridge. It's just moving really slow. So we sit here and wait for it to hit the bridge. Let's hope some common sense and just plain old accounting proudness actually enters <laughs> not only the UK Parliament but here in the US as well, because we're also talking windfall taxes on the high profits that the oil and gas companies are making. And it's literally ridiculous. We have no choice, but we'll keep an eye on this as well.
1: Okay. German court throws out Ross Neft suit over Schwedt
0: control. So remember we talked about this before. Basically, when Russia invaded the Ukraine, they owned a percentage, think about 50% of refinery in Germany. And the way that German laws are written, because they were worried about the security of the refined fuels, the German government took control of this refinery, which was the right thing for them to do, in my opinion. Not that they called me. Well, Russia basically, a Russia took them to court saying, we want a refinery back. And the German court said, tough, you can't have it back.
1: <laughs> Take <laughs> this, that.
0: They're doing this with the security and supply of the future of fuels for the country of Germany. The ruling, which originally expired by on March 15th, is now going to be extended six months. So Rossnet's going to have to wait at least six months before they can try to get ownership again. I got a feeling – I don't have a feeling. I know this is what's going to happen. There's such anti-Russian sentiment in Germany right now that Rossnet really has no choice. Whenever they get ownership back, if they get ownership back, they're just going to have to sell it because nobody's going to work with them in Germany. Well, right. I do think it's hilarious that once Russia lost this court case, what they said was – this is going to make Germany less attractive for investors <laughs> compared to oh, uh, yeah, Russia. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. So, no, this is the right thing to do. I like the way the German courts handle this. And then, like I said, they're not taking away forever. They're looking at solely on the merit of national defense based upon fuel supply from this refinery. Makes
1: sense to me. So,
0: as soon as they feel there's other fuel supply sources, they could give ownership and operational back to Rossnet. But like I said, there's so much anti-Russian sentiment now that Rossnet's just going to sell it yeah. when it gets there. Mm-hmm.
1: World Bank may return to financing natural gas projects.
0: What? <laughs> you say what? <laughs> so in 2017, the World Bank made the pledge to the entire universe that it's going to stop funding oil and gas projects because of the impact to the environment. And now they're changing their mind. Well, they went, psych! Why would they change their mind, you think, Paige? I don't know. Why would Could it they? be they lost money where their competitors didn't? <laughs> Could that be what it is? Could it be that World Bank and the bank that went out of business the Silicon Valley? Silicon Valley Bank. Could it be that y'all had both similar political aspirations on what huh. you do with your investment dollar? Could that be what it's going on? So I love that World Bank is coming back. And when they announced in 2017 that it would stop funding oil and gas project, it was a major announcement. This was a whisper. It's oh. not a major announcement. And what they're wanting to do is come back and invest in natural gas projects in Mozambique. We talked about that earlier, how there's – A lot of money to be made right there in Mozambique, and the country is on the verge of going bankrupt, and there's layers of profit. This is a great place for a bank to step in this project and make some money and help keep the project moving. This is hypocrisy (laughs) on top of hypocrisy. And I talked about this a little bit very early in this year about all the woke institutions that have lost so much money that at some point they go, I don't care anymore about renewables or ESG or wokeism. I have lost so much potential profit, I'm getting back in the oil and gas industry, which honestly is good. You're crazy to leave this industry. I'm
1: actually surprised it took this long.
0: Uh, Anyway, World Bank, welcome back (laughs) to financing projects that in 2017 you said you would never finance again.
1: (laughs) All right. Last one. Senate chatter grows louder on carbon tariff.
0: All right. If you don't know my views on carbon dioxide, ping me. I'll let you know. Just Just so you know, I've had death threats over my views on carbon dioxide and its effect to the environment. You've
1: just had a lot of death threats. Yeah.
0: Period. Anyway, so carbon tax is something that's been talked about for a long time. It's going to happen. It's going to happen here. It's going to happen in Europe. not quite sure what it's going to look like. But basically, if you're going to do this, you could do a carbon tax. It needs to be done the right way, whether you think carbon dioxide has any impact to climate change or not. If you're going to make a tax, you have to make it fair. And if you look at what produces the most carbon dioxide? And if you look at the countries that produce the most carbon dioxide, China is like the 800 pound gorilla. If you're going to have a carbon tax, we need to tax products from China because of how much carbon dioxide they produce as a country. You know, they love to talk about their renewable projects. They've built more coal, non scrubbed, let me be very clear, non scrubbed cold-fired electrical generation plants in any other country. <laughs> they have no problem doing open pit mining. They burn tons of hydrocarbons. They burn tons of biofuel. Think about world wood. All that stuff is not cleaned up. It goes straight to the atmosphere. They are responsible for over 60% of the world's rare earth minerals that you use to produce things like solar cells and you know other parts of the battery supply chain and from electrical storage. So when you look at what countries produce the most CO2, it's China. So if our Congress is going to pass a carbon tax of some sort, we need to make sure that products coming from China get taxed more than products that come from the U.S., which our carbon dioxide output, even though our energy production has gone up, our carbon dioxide output has gone down. So what I don't want this to turn into is just like the plastic straws you and I make fun of. Yeah. Right? So none of the plastic straws in the ocean come from the U.S. They all come from China and Africa. Well, the CO2 is being released in the world. Most of it's coming from China. If the U.S. is going to introduce a carbon tax, let's make sure we t- tax the Chinese, not the Americans who are right. doing a really good job of, of reducing our CO2. So we'll see where this thing goes. Oh, well,
1: and they're, they're calling the future bill the Foreign Pollution Act. And, of course, Mitt Romney always has something to say, and I just – I don't really like him, so we're going to leave it there. I'll, 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 I'll talk about it on Behind the Curtain or something.
0: Okay. Anyway, so there it is. We don't need a carbon tax, and if we're going to have a carbon tax, make sure it's applied fairly. Right.
1: Yep. And that's all the articles.
0: Oh, yeah? Yep. What was the guy that corrected me on the last episode? Oh. That doesn't like me pitching stuff. Anyway, I can't remember. Anyway.
1: You uh, could just look at the show notes from last week. Oh, I can. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Rudolph or something?
0: Yeah. Rudolph? Yes, it was Rudolph. Good job, Paige, before you even got to it. So, Rudolph, I am very sorry because I have to pitch this. This is We have to make this podcast. <laughs> we have to pay for- We have to
1: pay our employees, bro. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, Rudolph, just close your ears to the next 20 seconds advertise want to advertise us? It's really simple. Go to the website, ojeet.com, hit pricing. We have a bunch of options for small companies, for large companies. If you're trying to get your products or services from the oil and gas industry, talk to us first. Our Energy Continuity Conference is in September. Still got seats and exhibitors spots left open for that. What's the weekly recount doing, Paige?
1: Uh, we are at, we're down three in the United States at 7.46. Canada, we're down 23 at 2.23. Internationally, we're up 14 at 9.15.
0: Good numbers. Speaking of good numbers, we're over 50,000 on our LinkedIn page. I told you earlier, go join us, especially as this show gets close to its 300th episode. You'll also see fish. that we are now looking for a new podcast host. So if you go to LinkedIn, I should dropped a video today outlining what we're looking for, who we're looking for.
1: Which podcast? I can't keep up with anymore.
0: Yeah. So we haven't settled on the name yet. Oh. This is the one that's around heavy equipment. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So all right, onshore, offshore, motor sets, gen sets, natural gas compression. You don't have to have a background in any of that, but if you do, it'd be kind of helpful. And we're really looking for somebody that has great communication skills, great personality. That wants to be the face of the podcast. If you join us, you will become a professional podcast because we pay you. Like I said, go check it out on LinkedIn. I have all the details out there. And we have until, I think, about two weeks when we're going to cut the submissions off. All you got to do is raise your hand say, I'm interested. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then while you're out there trying to get a job working with OGGN, go to the website Either week.com or OGN.com. There you can see a page where you can ask questions for First Friday Q&A, which is right around the corner. Remember, the goal is not to stump Page and I, but to actually help inform our audiences. Also, if you catch me making a mistake, which Rudolph did last week, <laughs> please let me know so I can make sure we correct that and only have the truth out there. And then if you want my monthly oil and gas events newsletter, it's a nice little tool. We take all the oil and gas events plus private invitation-only ones, stick in your inbox once a month. We don't charge you, we never spam you. And if you'd like myself or any of our experts to come speak at your event, let me know. Be happy to share the details around that. We will actually be in Denver in just a few days at the SEAF.
1: Yeah, Center. so by the time this code is out, we've already gone and come and, back. Come back. Yeah. yeah.
0: We love doing that sort of stuff. So we are I'm delivering a keynote. Dude, then, it's gonna be 32 degrees. That's freezing for Houstonians. Yeah,
1: yeah. And just for me in general.
0: Make sure we bring our winter clothes. Yeah, I'm gonna have to unpack that. Anyway, so if you'd like us to do something like that, let us know. I guess that's it. You ready to get out of here? Yes. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.